Hey everybody, it's Shaman Sister Sin, and you're listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by shamanspiritcenter.com and littleshaman.org. That's me, Little Shaman. Today I wanted to talk to you about the problem with personality disorders. There's always a lot of talk about helping people who are pathologically narcissistic and treatments that could be tried and medications that can be used. There's always the question of why. Why can't they see the problem? Why can't they just stop overreacting the way that they do? Why don't they change their behavior? This is the problem with personality disorders. Pathological narcissism is not just an emotional problem. It's not just a behavioral problem. It's not even just a perception, cognition, or developmental problem. It's not a problem with just one area or part. The personality itself is disordered. The whole identity personality structure is dysfunctional and maladapted. Literally, the way they think is dysfunctional. If we think of the personality as a vehicle, like a car, think of the auto recalls that you have seen in your life. It's usually things like the braking system is faulty or the airbag system has a bug in it. It's a problem with one part of the vehicle. With a personality disorder, the metal that the entire car was created from has been compromised. It's not just a problem with one part or one system or one function. The entire thing has been affected. This is one of the reasons narcissistic people often don't seek help for their actual problems. They don't see them. They may go to therapy for depression or anxiety. They may go because they believe they are the victim of abuse in relationships. And they may go because other people insist, but they generally don't go to therapy or seek help because they see the real problem. This is how it's always been. It seems normal to them. They don't see the problems that other people see. If you heard voices in your head for your entire life, you would not just wake up one day and think, geez, that's odd. Why do I hear voices? You know, that would be normal for you. If someone else told you that they didn't hear voices, instead of thinking that you are odd or you have a problem, you might think that they are the ones who are odd or they are the ones that have a problem. If someone told you that hearing voices is abnormal, that would be super hard for you to understand. That's kind of how personality disorders work. People with a personality disorder often do not realize there's a problem with the way they think or perceive things even when it has been repeatedly pointed out. In the case of pathological narcissism, the personality has been structured in such a way as to keep threatening information and feelings away. In order for narcissists to realize there's a problem with the way that they think and perceive things, they would have to accept this threatening information and the feelings attached to it when it's presented to them. Since their entire personality has been structured in such a way as to keep threatening information away from them, you can see the problem here. Even if that could happen, though, there's still another problem. If you say to somebody, everything you think, the actual way you process and perceive information, all the conclusions you're coming to, it's all wrong. Now what? It would likely require the person to think in a brand new way about everything. This is extremely difficult even when someone does not have a personality disorder. And even if they could do that, their perception is affected and skewed. How can somebody use flawed perception to find the flaws in their flawed perception? This is why reality testing is often very difficult for narcissistic people. When they look around at reality to determine whether or not their emotional conclusions are reasonable and rational, 
they often find evidence to support those conclusions even when none exists, even when it's not there. This is because their skewed perception causes them to interpret information incorrectly. That's how they came to the incorrect conclusion in the first place. This is very difficult to overcome. A person that's not narcissistic could rely on a trusted friend to tell them how things really are, but pathologically narcissistic people have no one they trust that much and no ability to accept situations where they're wrong. So the chances of that happening, or of it being successful should the narcissist request somebody do it, are small. Even if they requested that someone help them in this way or call them on their behavior, and this is not unheard of, believe it or not, narcissists often perceive feelings as facts and as evidence. Therefore, when you are arguing facts, it feels to them as if you're trying to talk them out of their feelings. This can be experienced by them as manipulative and abusive on your part. It's doomed from the start either way. For example, a narcissistic person might say they want to be a healthier person and ask you to call them out if they sneak a cigarette after they quit smoking. However, if you do that, you will likely be told that you're controlling or in any other manner of negative things. Why? Because when they said that, they wanted to be healthier, but right now they want to smoke. You're trying to stop them from what they want to do, so you are hurting them or are otherwise bad in some way. You're also pointing out their failure, and therefore you must be punished. It really is that simple, and it doesn't matter that they asked you to do it. You're not supposed to. Although, of course, if you don't do it, or if you don't agree that you will do it when they ask you, you're still hurtful and bad because you're not supporting them or helping them whenever they need you. You cannot win with this kind of person. They don't even know what they want from one minute to the next, and they want to implicate and punish everyone around them for their own inability to get it. This is the problem with personality disorders, particularly those that involve narcissism. It is not an isolated problem or a problem with just one or two functions. It's a whole system problem where the central dysfunction feeds off of itself through the maladapted mechanisms and parts. This is why we say narcissists have no, quote, normal to get back to. This is their normal. This is how it's always been. As foreign as their thought process is to you, that's how foreign yours would be to them. It's not possible for you to adopt their thought process as your own. You can try to understand it and you can learn to deal with it in a manner of speaking, but you can't simply just begin functioning using their thought process because you're not a narcissist. What makes you think they can adopt yours or that they would even want to do so? Just something to think about. I hope this clears a few things up for you. As always, I look forward to your comments, questions, and suggestions, so please keep those coming. I take appointments online, over the phone, via text, via messenger, via email, and through Skype. You can call me from just about anywhere in the world, so if you're interested in speaking with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can do that by visiting littleshaman.org and clicking the Book and Appointment tab to go ahead and do that. I teach online workshops a few times a month, so if you're interested in seeing what we're running or attending any of those, you can do that on littleshaman.org as well. You've been listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by shamanspiritcenter.com and littleshaman.org. That's me, Little Shaman. May the Great Spirit bless you and have a wonderful day. Hey everybody, it's Shaman Sister Sin, and you're listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by shamanspiritcenter.com and littleshaman.org. That's me, Little Shaman. Today, I wanted to talk to you about something very important regarding pathologically narcissistic people, and that is that, for all intents and purposes, narcissists are emotionally disabled. 
In fact, some even receive Social Security disability because they're unable to work due to the problems they have regarding their personality disorders. The definition of disabled is having a physical or mental condition that limits movement, sense, or activities. This absolutely applies to pathologically narcissistic people. While their intellectual and physical capabilities are usually not impacted, their emotional abilities are seriously affected. These are people who have the emotional capabilities and understanding of a toddler or maybe an even younger child. They are either totally possessed by their emotions or so divorced from them that they seem to have none at all. Underneath, emotion controls everything pathologically narcissistic people do, but because they have such limited understanding of and sometimes attachment to their emotions, they may not even be aware of this at all. You will often find that, along with the usual emotional dysregulation we see with narcissistic people, they also cannot articulate their emotions to others and they have very little to no understanding of how other people are feeling at all. This is also very like a young child. Pathologically narcissistic people have arrested emotional development. If you met an adult who had the physical capabilities of a toddler, you would be able to understand that right away. If you met an adult with the intellectual capabilities of a toddler, you would recognize that right away as well. But when someone has the physical appearance and the intellectual capabilities of a grown person, it can be very hard to understand or even see the amount of emotional difficulty that they're having. You may not see it at all until this person becomes upset. This is especially true because they have evolved within their dysfunction to compensate for it in some ways. They've had to in order to survive. Imagine a two-year-old just left on the street to fend for themselves. They would either die or they would learn. Narcissists have learned. They've learned to mimic. They've learned to manipulate. They've learned to try to compensate intellectually for the emotional difficulties that they're having and to rationalize the decisions they're making based on this dysfunctional process. In other words, instead of growing out of their dysfunction, they have grown into it. It can help to look at pathologically narcissistic people as disabled because the frank truth of it is they are. If someone is pathologically narcissistic, they are usually affected pretty severely by narcissism in most areas of their life. They will often have a lot of trouble with jobs, with authority figures, with relationships of any kind, and just generally with life. We often find that the way they perceive things is not how they really are, and that in general, their mindset and way of thinking is simply not conducive with social situations or with the way that life actually works. There are some pathologically narcissistic people who are able to function well in some areas of their life, but we will usually see problems because of narcissism in at least one major area of their lives, and these problems are usually pretty severe. For example, a narcissist may do very well at their job, but have extremely serious problems with interpersonal relationships. They often have problems with addiction and impulse control as well. One thing it's important to remember, though, is that pathologically narcissistic people know right from wrong. They understand that the things they're doing would be considered wrong, at least by other people, if not themselves, and that's one reason they attempt to hide these things. They're able to control their behavior as well. Some people have trouble believing that, but ask yourself if the behavior has ever occurred in a place where the narcissist knew they could not get away with that. The answer is almost always no. We should, therefore, not consider pathologically narcissistic people disabled and unable to help their behavior. How we should consider them is disabled and unwilling to make any of the changes in their lives that are necessary to deal with their disability.
If someone has lost the use of their legs, they learn to use a wheelchair. They make whatever renovations to their home and modifications to their vehicle that are necessary in order to accommodate their disability. They don't insist that somebody else carry them everywhere for the rest of their lives. If someone has lost their sight, they learn to memorize the layout of their house. They learn to count their steps so they know how to get where they're going and back. They learn to use their other senses to help guide them. They don't insist that someone else do everything for them. This is what pathologically narcissistic people are doing. They are making their disability everyone else's problem while at the same time insisting they don't even have one. They insist everyone make all these allowances and special rules for them and their unacknowledged disability while at the same time claiming they're not the ones with the problem. Even though pathologically narcissistic people are emotionally disabled in pretty much every way it's possible to be, there are things they could do to make living with that and navigating their lives easier. Their problems are not going to go away, but they can often be managed differently. The right medication can help. Learning new skills to help with emotional reactivity, such as reality testing and creating new coping mechanisms can help. Learning to sit with and process emotions can help. There are many things they could do to take a proactive approach to dealing with this problem. Even small things such as cutting down on sugar and caffeine intake or eating better food and getting more sleep. It won't cure their narcissism, but it can help with managing their behavior. However, most of them refuse to even acknowledge that there's a problem at all in any real way, so nothing ever changes. And make no mistake, it is a refusal. Because inside of themselves, they generally know that something is wrong. They may even admit this or make allusions to it. Facing this head-on is not impossible for them, but it can be extremely unpleasant and frightening, so they simply refuse to do it. They continue to go through life without the ability to walk, insisting that others need to carry them. There's no way to help a person who does not want to help themselves, and excusing their behavior or rescuing them only makes the problem worse. If narcissistic people refuse to do the things they could do in order to manage a problem, there's nothing anyone else can do. It is not up to everyone else in this person's life to make changes and accommodations and allowances for them when they won't even do the bare minimum for themselves. All you can do is make sure you understand the situation so that you can be sure you are not making things worse on yourself. I hope that clears a few things up for you. As always, I look forward to your comments, questions, and suggestions, so please keep those coming. I take appointments online, over the phone, via text, via messenger, via email, and through Skype. So if you're interested in speaking with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can do that by visiting littleshaman.org and clicking the Book an Appointment tab. I teach workshops a few times a month, so if you're interested in seeing what workshops we have running, you can do that on littleshaman.org as well. You've been listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by shamanspiritcenter.com and littleshaman.org. That's me, the little shaman. May the great spirit bless you and have a wonderful day. Hey everybody, it's Shaman Sister Sin, and you're listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by shamanspiritcenter.com and littleshaman.org. That's me, the little shaman. Today I wanted to talk to you about something that is very important to understand when dealing with narcissistic people, and that is that if you're going to continue to deal with them on any level, you must accept that this is the way they are. Many people wonder how narcissists can seem to be okay one minute and crazy, violent, hysterical, or totally cold the next minute. The thing is, this is a misunderstanding of how the personality works. People sometimes say things like, I just want them to act normally, but they are acting normally. This is their normal. 
There have never been any other way. And if you choose to deal with pathologically narcissistic people on any level, you have to accept that this is the way that they are. The good aspects of their personality cannot and do not exist without the rest of it. It's a package deal. Now, it's always best not to deal with narcissistic people when they have been identified, but for many reasons, people can and often do choose to continue all types of relationships with narcissists, family, friends, romantic. Managing the relationship and the amount of stress it causes is crucial in this situation. So much of the stress caused by dealing with pathologically narcissistic people is rooted in the idea that one day the bad side of their personality will be mitigated and even disappear or that the good side can be reached and somehow brought out all the time. This is not a realistic expectation. These aspects all exist together. They're not independent of each other. They're parts of this same whole. You cannot have one without the others. If someone is going to have any kind of relationship with a narcissist, they need to understand and accept that this is how it is. Otherwise, the stress will cause enormous damage to your life. It's important to realize that even if you want them to change these things, and even if at times they really want to change them too, the odds are very long that they're going to be able to do that. Pathologically narcissistic people are often dealing with arrested emotional development, among other problems. It may be that they are unable to change these things, and even if they are able to do so, it can be very hard and very painful. Many people are just not up to something like that, whether they're a narcissist or not. A pathologically narcissistic person with limited emotional resources or understanding and zero coping mechanisms beyond the maladaptive ones they've been using their whole lives may simply be unable to even try. And even if they could at least try, they probably don't want to. They know only their ways to get their needs met and the idea of giving these up is like trying to learn to breathe through your ears. The goal of the pathologically narcissistic person is protection of the self, not healing. Because as humans, we must hurt in order to heal, this goes against their prime directive. The fact that such obsessive protection would no longer be necessary if they could in fact heal is information without meaning. A life where such aggressive protection of the self is not necessary is probably unimaginable for narcissists. And if it were imaginable, it would likely be seen as similar to having to swim through shark-infested waters to freedom with meat tied around your neck and 25-pound weights attached to your feet. In other words, too dangerous to attempt. Many just can't do it. Even if they can succeed at changing some of their behaviors, the mindset and the motivations behind these behaviors is not different. Often they simply change one manipulative or abusive behavior for another. For example, a person who was physically violent may stop being physically abusive but start betraying the relationship in other ways. A person who created financial catastrophes may stop overspending but create emotional crises and those type of catastrophes instead. The part of their personality that drives this behavior is not going to go away and that's why it's part of their personality. It exists alongside the quote-unquote good parts of their personality and is inextricably entwined with them. It cannot be separated. So if you're going to deal with this person, it's important to understand that these things are not separate. They're the same. The good person you love and the bad person you hate or fear are the same person. Both of these sides and every other one they show are equally genuine for whatever that actually means. They really are that amazing sometimes, and they really are that terrible sometimes. They also aren't either of these things. 
They are both and they are neither. It seems impossible, and in a balanced, integrated person, it usually is. But the pathologically narcissistic person has a fractured or split personality. It's similar to the phenomenon of multiple personalities, although in a narcissist, these pieces are not fully formed personalities at all, but rather parts of a larger whole. These different parts are not integrated or cohesive. They exist apart from each other rather than in balance, and in some narcissists, they are totally denied. It's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation, except that the narcissist is not usually unaware of the existence of this quote-unquote bad side because it's not separate. They know it's there. They're in denial of it. This, of course, causes it to get stronger and stronger until the entire focus of their existence has become about denying it. Healing would require the acknowledgement of these things, facing things they've spent their entire lives running from. It's just unlikely that that's ever going to happen, and even if it did, it still might not end up helping anything. Narcissists that are forced to face these things with no coping mechanisms or other protections can end up being suicidal. If you choose to deal with narcissistic people on any level, it's important to understand that you have to accept the bad with the good. You don't have to approve of it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to condone it, but you have to accept it. These things are inseparable, and you cannot have one without the other because they're both part of the same person. This is their normal, and whether it's because they can't or they won't, it's not likely to change. It's necessary to adjust expectations in order to manage the relationship and the amount of stress it causes you. It's not possible to control the behavior of other people, and you cannot love the pathology out of somebody. So if you want a narcissistic person in your life, you're going to have to take the good with the bad because they can't be separated. People often feel as if they're dealing with two different people or more when dealing with a pathologically narcissistic person, but they're not. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are not different people. The reality is that Dr. Jekyll is Mr. Hyde, and that's just how it is. I hope this clears a few things up for you. As always, I look forward to your comments, questions, and suggestions, so please keep those coming. I take appointments online, over the phone, via text, via messenger, via email, and over Skype. So if you're interested in speaking with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can visit littleshaman.org and click the Book and Appointment tab to go ahead and do that. I teach workshops a few times a month, so if you're interested in seeing what we're running, you can do that on littleshaman.org as well. You've been listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by littleshaman.org and shamanspiritcenter.com. That's me, the Little Shaman. May the Great Spirit bless you and have a wonderful day. Hey everybody, it's Shaman Sister Sin, and you're listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by littleshaman.org and shamanspiritcenter.com. Today I wanted to talk to you about narcissistic relationships being transactional. This is something that's important to understand if you're dealing with narcissistic people in any capacity. So I thought we could talk about it on the show today. What is a transaction? Generally speaking, a transaction is a business deal. You pay your money, you get the goods. When you go into a convenience store because you're thirsty, you give the clerk money and he gives you a drink. That's a transaction. The relationship between yourself and the clerk is not emotional. You are two people who have come together because you each have something the other person wants. You want a drink, and he wants money. You have money, he has a drink. You trade your money for his drink, he trades his drink for your money. The only reason either of you have entered into this brief relationship is because you have to. There's no other way to get what you want. This is how pathologically narcissistic people behave in relationships. 
Pathologically narcissistic people are users. There's just no other way to say it. They use other people in the same way a non-narcissistic person uses tools or objects. Because of this, all relationships with narcissistic people are transactional. That means that the relationship must be providing the narcissist with something. If it doesn't, they will abandon it. They have no use for something or someone they can't get something from. We generally see this in all narcissistic relationships, even if it doesn't appear to be the case. Trust and believe they're getting something out of it, even if they say they aren't and even if they don't seem to be. For example, a pathologically narcissistic person may tell you repeatedly that you have nothing to offer, that you're boring, that you're ugly, that you're no good, and all manner of things designed to make it sound like you have nothing anyone could want. And yet, they're still in the relationship. They have not left. That means they're getting something out of it, regardless of what they're saying, even if all they're getting is the feeling of superiority from running you down. That might not seem like much of a reason to stay in a relationship, and for non-narcissistic people it isn't, but for a narcissist, it could be exactly what they're looking for. This is not just something that happens in romantic relationships either. To be honest, no narcissistic behavior happens in just one kind of relationship. Pathologically narcissistic people see everyone the same. Whether the person is their spouse, their sibling, their parent, their child, everyone exists for their use. A narcissist that exhibits jealousy in romantic relationships may also display jealousy in family relationships too. Such as a man who's jealous over other men getting his wife's attention, but also when his brother gets their mother's attention. A narcissist that attacks their spouse for small mistakes may also treat co-workers this same way. People who do not offer the narcissist anything are considered useless. They will often be ignored and abandoned when a better deal comes along. And deal is the correct word. It is a transaction. The narcissist does what they have to do in order to receive what they want from the other person. This can take many forms. It can be many things. They may want money, sympathy, admiration, for people to be afraid of them, for people to desire them, a punching bag they can abuse, someone they can feel superior to. The list goes on and on. What they want often has a direct effect on their behavior, which is why the narcissist may, at first, appear to be many things to many people. It isn't that they're different per se, it's that they want different things from different people. If they want to be feared by their spouse, they must be a tyrant at home. If they want to be admired by their co-workers, they must be charming and magnanimous at work. If they want sympathy from their friends, they must appear to be a victim. It's the same person doing all these things, and though they are different, the motive for all of these behaviors is the same, supplementing their non-existent self-worth. Pathologically, narcissistic people cannot create, regulate, or sustain their own self-worth. They have to extract emotional responses from other people using various manipulations and masks, which they then convert into validation of their existence. If someone admires me, I'm good. If someone cares about me, I matter. If someone fears me, I'm powerful. This is not true self-worth because it is totally reliant on other people, but it is the closest thing a narcissistic person can get to that. As with any other human being, the total loss of self-worth is disastrous and can actually lead to suicide. Because narcissistic people have no self-worth to begin with, they are completely dependent on others to give them value. As you can imagine, much of the time, one person is not enough to fulfill this. It's like filling a pitcher with a hole in the bottom. One stream going into it would probably not do very much at all. But three or five or ten streams pouring into that same pitcher would be much better. 
The problem is, the hole in this picture is big. The pitcher can perhaps stay at a constant level, but it cannot get full, no matter how much is poured into it. And if the streams stop, it empties very quickly. This is literally a life-threatening catastrophe for a pathologically narcissistic person. If even one stream stops, this is often noticed immediately and felt very deeply. The narcissist may panic, trying to regain that stream or find another one to take its place. You might wonder then how discards ever happen. Well, the stream dries up, or it slows to a trickle. They're not getting what they were getting from this stream before. The mirror has clouded, and all they see when they look at this person now are reminders of things they've done wrong. They will begin to search for other streams, other sources that aren't clouded, when they notice that this is happening. And when they find one, the old source is replaced and the problem is solved. Other people are mirrors to a narcissist. They don't see the other person themselves. They see a reflection of who they are, and what that reflection looks like is entirely dependent on what they believe that person's opinion of them to be. If they've treated this person badly, or believe the person to be superior to them, the reflection will not be a very nice one. It will look like flaws and weakness and ugliness. If the person doesn't know them very well or looks up to them, the reflection will be much more pleasant. This is why they often seem to value the opinions of strangers over their family. The stranger's opinion is generally not tainted by any of the narcissist's abusive behavior. How could it be? They don't know about it. It's usually very painful for people to realize that what they thought was a marriage or a family or a parent and child relationship is really no more than the necessary rigmarole that narcissists must go through to get what they cannot create for themselves. They must rely on other people, but in the end, it really doesn't matter who those people are. In many cases, it could literally be anybody because it's not about the other people and it never has been. As we can see, relationships of any kind with narcissistic people can really be nothing other than transactional. They need things they cannot get on their own. They must, quote, purchase these things from other people through manipulation, extortion, and subterfuge. They are, in fact, dependent on other people for their survival. I have compared narcissistic people to vampires for this very reason, but it's also very like a relationship between a baby and a caregiver. The caregiver holds all of the responsibility for the relationship. It's their job to provide care, love, support, and literally everything else that the child needs. The baby's only contribution and only responsibility is to exist and receive these things. If you've had any type of a relationship with a narcissistic person, you know that is exactly what they believe a relationship is supposed to consist of. They are supposed to exist and you are supposed to do everything else regardless of how you are treated, what you want, what you need, how you feel, or anything else. That's what they think should happen when somebody loves them. It's unrealistic, unreasonable, and almost grotesquely, pathetically childish. Babies are not expected to show love, empathy, compassion, sympathy, reciprocity, or anything else. They are not capable of that just yet. It seems that narcissists are suffering from arrested development that has rendered them incapable of it as well. The difference is that babies do not abuse their caregivers. They are not adults that understand right and wrong. They're not adults that make deliberate choices to do things that hurt other people. And they don't stay babies. They grow. They mature. They learn. They eventually reciprocate. Narcissists don't. A baby changes and grows every month. A two-year-old is only two for one year. 
being in a relationship, any relationship with a narcissist, is like being in a relationship with someone who stays two years old forever. I hope this clears a few things up for you. As always, I look forward to your comments, questions, and suggestions, so please keep those coming. I take appointments online, over the phone, via text, through messenger, and through email. So if you're interested in speaking with me one-on-one, you can visit littleshaman.org and click the book and appointment tab to go ahead and do that. I teach workshops a few times a month, so if you're interested in participating in any of those, you can check out littleshaman.org for that as well. You've been listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by littleshaman.org and shamanspiritcenter.com. That's me, the Little Shaman. May the Great Spirit bless you and have a wonderful day. Hey everybody, it's Shaman Sister Sin, and you're listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by Earth Mama's Apothecary and LittleShaman.org. That's me, Little Shaman. Today I wanted to talk to you about how pathologically narcissistic people are always in survival mode. If you are dealing with a narcissistic person, this is very important to understand, so I thought we could address it on the show today. People often ask why so many pathologically narcissistic people don't seem to think of the long-term consequences of their behavior. While this is a multifaceted answer, part of the reason for that is because they are in survival mode. When you're in survival mode, you are not thinking of two years from now or two months from now or even two days from now. All you're focusing on is right now. And the crisis happening right now, getting your needs met right now. Consequences are secondary in survival mode. We can't worry about consequences right now because all that matters right now is surviving. If at some point in the future we are no longer in survival mode, maybe we can think about the consequences then. The problem is that doesn't happen. There is no future. There's only now and the endless crisis of need. People dealing with pathologically narcissistic loved ones often feel like they're stuck in Groundhog Day where it's just the same thing over and over and over again. There's always a problem. There's always a crisis. There's always an emergency. Or conversely, there's never a crisis and never an emergency because the narcissistic person doesn't care about anything at all. The narcissist never seems to get tired of this. It's like they don't even realize it. And it's safe to say they probably don't. To them, it seems that every day is a fresh horror filled with losses and landmines and the desperate search for self-worth and fulfillment. The focus is on just making it through day-to-day life. This is something that many of them have a huge amount of difficulty with, and their coping mechanisms are primitive at best. This is one reason why they are so results- or reward-driven, no matter what the cost. For a narcissistic person, the ends justify the means. They're just trying to survive. They need what they need, and anyone or anything that gets in their way is expendable. If you were starving and you needed to steal food to eat so that you didn't die, you would do that. You wouldn't care that you were breaking the law and you wouldn't care about the situation of the person you were stealing it from. In survival mode, all that matters is your own life. This is how they see things. Their mindset is such that they have to do these things to survive and when someone exists in that mentality, nothing is off limits. The problem is, narcissists are in survival mode, but they are not in a survival situation. There's no competition for resources, no need to fear that their survival is in question, yet they conduct themselves as if these things are true. They behave as if there are nonstop imminent threats to their well-being, especially to their emotional well-being. It's not unlike the particular type of food aggression that we see in dogs that have been neglected and starved. This is not the only cause of food aggression in dogs, of course, but it is a legitimate one. 
If a dog was in an abusive situation long enough, he will have learned that food resources are not stable or reliable. Food might be available now, but it could become scarce at any time, and this puts the dog's survival in jeopardy. Because of this, he will gobble any food he's given or that he finds as fast as possible, and if someone tries to take the food away, the dog will growl and he will bite in order to protect his resource. This dog is in survival mode. He doesn't know when or if his next meal will ever come, so he feels an urgency and an anxiety about food all the time. He has learned that he cannot trust in a reliable source of food, therefore he secures as much as he can, as fast as he can, and if anyone interferes, even people that he loves, they will be dealt with aggressively. Another dog that tries to eat the food or dares to even come near it will be attacked or maybe even killed. This is how the dog attempts to cope with what he has learned about life. Survival mode takes over so that his needs can be met. He's attempting to protect and secure his resources because he doesn't know if he's ever going to have them again. Humans are not all that different from this. We learn things the same way, and we are imprinted by previous experiences the same way, especially early ones. Narcissists don't know when or if their needs will ever be met, and they believe they are helpless to attend to those needs on their own, so they feel a continuous urgency and an anxiety about their needs all the time. Their constant focus is, what about me? For whatever reason, early on they seem to have learned that they cannot rely on other people to care about them and they have compensated for this by focusing exclusively on their own needs to the exclusion and the detriment of everything else in the panicked belief that not to do so means these needs will never be met. This results in narcissistic people attaching astronomical importance to their own needs and perceiving any deviation from this as an attack and a rejection. Unable to attend to their own needs, they insist that others attach the same importance to their needs that they do. When this doesn't happen, it reinforces the idea that they are in a fight for their survival. No one will care about me if I don't care about myself. No one will care about my needs if I don't make them care. No one will recognize my needs if I don't force them to recognize my needs. Of course, in a healthy relationship of any kind, this is not necessary. However, the pathologically narcissistic person generally does not recognize this. They are locked into a certain way of being, a certain mode of operation. They know no other way to be, and to abandon that would be tantamount to saying their needs don't matter at all. For most narcissists, the only way they see out of survival mode is death. The idea that there is another way to live is totally foreign to them. It's like if someone was trying to tell you to breathe through your ears. It sounds preposterous, and more than that, it sounds impossible. To the pathologically narcissistic person, it also sounds like a trick. You're trying to get them to stop focusing on their needs so that their needs are not met. Now, it seems easy enough to fix this, right? Just show them that they're not in a survival situation and that they're safe. Poof, survival mode disengaged. But it's not that easy. All facts that support positive interactions with people are either twisted, reframed, or ignored by the narcissist's perception and the way that their mind works. All facts that support negative interaction and threats to survival are maximized, misperceived, and exploited. This is what happens when someone is hyper-focused on their own needs and is unable to focus on anything else. Everything is perceived as being about or to or because of themselves. There's also the matter of being unable to attend to their own needs. This is a cause of huge anxiety and alarm in pathologically narcissistic people. Again, we can look to our example of the abused dog. He cannot secure his own source of nourishment. He must wait for someone to give it to him. If he could get out of his cage, perhaps he could find his own food, but this is beyond his ability. He must simply wait. 
pathetically at the mercy of other people's whims. It is the same for the pathologically narcissistic person. If they could get out of the, quote, cage of their defense mechanisms and circular logic, perhaps they would realize that they can do things like self-soothe and create self-worth on their own for themselves. But for whatever reason, they cannot get out. They feel that they're like that abused dog, waiting for someone to bring whatever scraps they feel like throwing. And more often than not, in the narcissist's perception, no one comes. They are resentful of this, and even more resentful of the fact that they're relying on other people in the first place. The very fact that this has to happen underscores and accentuates their perceived weakness. If you are dealing with a pathologically narcissistic person, remember that you are likely dealing with someone who believes they are in a daily struggle for survival, who believes they are in resource competition with any and everybody around them, and who is mightily resentful of this fact. They believe that everything they do is justified because of these things. When you are just trying to survive, how can you be blamed for anything that you have done? How could you do any differently? And for the narcissistic person, everything leads back to survival. Their manipulations, their lies, their rage, their false self, everything. This is why everything is such a big deal. Even stupid things that appear to have no connection to survival at all are very significant to the pathologically narcissistic person. Every time they are told no or denied anything, it reinforces the idea that they are in this alone and must fight tooth and nail for everything they get against a world that is literally trying to kill them. Every time they are asked to consider another person, it reinforces the idea that they're unimportant and worthless. Every time someone will not buy into their projections and their false image, it reinforces the idea that they are too damaged to be loved or to matter. Small things have huge implications in the mind of the pathologically narcissistic person. The fiction that they depend on is so fragile that even the tiniest thing could upset the whole structure and down it goes. This is something that represents literal death in the mind of many pathologically narcissistic people and something they will avoid at all costs. If you are dealing with a narcissistic person, realize that the stakes are very high for them in everything. This is not a game where they can allow any other winner but themselves. If Fox is chasing Rabbit, who's going to run faster? Rabbit, because Fox is only running for his dinner. Rabbit is running for his life. I hope this clears a few things up for you. As always, I look forward to your comments, questions, and suggestions, so please keep those coming. I take appointments online and over the phone Monday through Friday, so if you're interested in speaking with me, you can visit littleshaman.org and click the Book and Appointment tab to do that. Or you can use the link that's available in the information section of this video. You've been listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by littleshaman.org. That's me, the Little Shaman. May the Great Spirit bless you and have a wonderful day. Hey everybody, it's Shaman Sister Sin, and you're listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by Earth Mama's Apothecary and littleshaman.org. That's me, the Little Shaman. Today I want to talk to you about communicating with narcissists. This is a bit of a misnomer, actually, because... Communicating successfully with pathologically narcissistic people is almost impossible, but still it might be necessary to deal with them from time to time, so I'm going to talk to you about that on the show today. Trying to communicate with pathologically narcissistic people, especially when they're actively upset, is a nightmare. It's frustrating, it's painful, and more than that, it's usually pointless. Conversation goes in circles and doesn't seem to ever progress or move forward at all. Issues are not resolved, problems are not solved, and things are often made worse, not better. 
People become trapped in a cycle of defending, explaining, and chasing the narcissist for validation, trying to prove to the narcissistic person that they're mistaken about whatever it is that they believe or that they're saying. This cycle characterizes the relationship with the narcissist. The victim is forever chasing something they will never get, or if they do get it, they will not be allowed to keep it. Just as they feel validated, the rug will be ripped out from under them once again. The key to understanding how to communicate successfully with pathologically narcissistic people is to remember that, frankly, you can't. They're not like other people, and so the tools you would normally use to communicate with non-narcissistic people generally will not work with them. Rationally explaining or talking about your feelings will get you nowhere with a narcissistic person. They don't care. They're not listening. All they can hear or care about are their own feelings. This means that successful communication with pathologically narcissistic people looks different than successful communication with non-narcissistic people. Successful communication with pathologically narcissistic people means not allowing yourself to be triggered or to become upset. If you can get through the conversation without doing that, it's a success. This is what causes the pain, the frustration, and it creates a situation where communication is further complicated because now you're upset and now your point is being lost. Once people realize this and truly understand it, they can adjust their expectations and communication becomes much less frustrating. Desire is the root of suffering. We suffer because we can't have what we want or what we expect or what we feel we deserve. When you realize that you're not going to get what you want from the situation, the suffering is alleviated because the desire has been addressed and the situation has been accepted. Dealing with narcissistic people in general becomes much less painful when you can accept them for what they are and create expectations of the situation and of the person that are realistic. Accepting them for what they are doesn't mean condoning their behavior, so let's be really, really clear on that. The behavior is not acceptable. Accepting narcissists or anybody for who they are means that you understand the full reality of the situation. It means you stop holding on to the fantasy that things are going to just magically change and this person suddenly going to understand or care how you feel. The chances of that happening are extremely low. It's generally not even worth entertaining the idea that that might happen. Once you accept the reality of the person you're dealing with and let go of your fantasy of them, the interaction becomes a lot less painful. Their behavior probably won't change, but your susceptibility to it will. They're only able to hurt you because you want and expect them to care. You desire them to care, and you suffer because they don't. Addressing this is the first step toward taking the power over your feelings back to yourself, which is where it belongs. Once you've taken that step and you've truly accepted the situation and the person for what they are, it's a lot easier to stop reacting to the things they're doing and saying. This is the only way to successfully deal with a narcissist. You have to stop reacting. Pushing people's buttons is probably their biggest weapon, and in order to neutralize it, people have to stop getting upset. This can be very difficult, and there's just no other way to say it. It's hard. But nothing worthwhile ever came easily. And this is just another example of that. Acceptance is really the key here. Through acceptance comes freedom. If you can learn to accept the situation and control your reactions, it won't matter what the narcissist says or doesn't say or what they do or don't do. Your peace will not be affected because you will realize that it's their problem, not yours. You cannot control how other people feel, what they say, or what they do. You have absolutely no control over that at all. Sometimes, no matter what you do, people just aren't going to like you. And sometimes, no matter what you do, people aren't going to stop liking you. It has absolutely nothing to do with you. This is often the biggest hurdle that people have to get over, but it is so worth it. 
being a slave to other people's opinions is no way to live. Now, there are several videos on my channel that can help teach how to stop reacting and take control of your emotions back. Those tools are invaluable if you're forced to deal with a narcissist. However, it isn't just acceptance of the narcissistic person that is necessary. Acceptance of the self is necessary, too. Narcissists hurt and control other people by pinpointing the person's weak spots and hammering on them nonstop. People often become triggered by these particular things because it's an area where they already have issues. For example, let's say a person might fly off the handle because the narcissist accuses them of lying. Now, of course, no one likes to be accused of lying, but trying to prove this is not true shouldn't become the obsessive cycle that it often becomes. Now, this might happen because in the person's childhood, they were called a liar constantly and made to feel as if they were unlovable because of that. The person may then become obsessed with trying to prove to the narcissist that they're not a liar. In reality, this has nothing to do with the narcissist any more than the narcissist's behavior has to do with the victim. The person is trying to prove to themselves that they're not unlovable by convincing the narcissist to love them. They've found, or never escaped, the exact situation that created the problem in the first place, and they're trying to fix it, sometimes over and over and over again, and often completely unbeknownst to themselves. But if you're going to move forward, you have to face the past. So it's important to be really, really honest with yourself about what you're trying to accomplish with the choices that you're making. Whatever issues you uncover with your honesty will likely show you what caused your vulnerability to the situation in the first place. And once those issues are addressed, you might find that your vulnerability to the situation and to the narcissist has disappeared. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. People can learn many lessons from their dealings with narcissists, not the least of which is how to stop being an observer and a passenger in their own lives so they can take control. I hope this clears a few things up for you. As always, I look forward to your comments, questions, and suggestions, so please keep those coming. I take appointments now online and over the phone. If you're interested in scheduling an appointment with me, you can visit littleshaman.org and press the bookings tab to go ahead and do that, or you can follow the link that's in the information section of this video. You've been listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by littleshaman.org. That's me, Little Shaman. May the Great Spirit bless you and have a wonderful day. Hey everybody, it's Shaman Sister Sin, and you're listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by the Little Shaman Healing. That's me, the Little Shaman. Today I want to talk to you about why we always say stop explaining to the narcissist. If you saw the episode of the show entitled Stop Explaining to the Narcissist, then you know that repeatedly explaining your position to them is pointless. What some people might not realize, though, is that the reason it's pointless is because most narcissists are dedicated to misunderstanding you. In a very real way, their survival depends on not understanding and on denying what you're saying. What you're saying is being perceived as hurtful, deceitful, dishonest, whatever. They essentially believe you are trying to trick them. If you're saying good things, they'll believe you're trying to manipulate and fool them. If they believed you and you were not being sincere, this would leave them open to being hurt and they're certainly not going to allow that. If you're saying bad things, they'll believe you're trying to hurt them. You're just saying they did something wrong to shame them because you're a bad person who wants to hurt them. Everything is about self-preservation with these people, and most of their behavior is an overreaction to perceived threats that are hugely exaggerated in the narcissist's mind. For the most part, this is because narcissists do not believe other people are capable of being honest. 
They always think there's an ulterior motive or a scam or a manipulation going on. Part of this is because that's how they operate. They don't understand the value or importance of honesty, integrity, or sincerity, and they actually disdain and look down on those things. But part of it is also probably because since they can't trust their own feelings, they don't understand how other people's emotions work. Their truth changes with their feelings, which change on a dime, so they would have absolutely no trust in the feelings of other people. How do they know that person's feelings won't change? They wholeheartedly feel that they will. Since they perceive their own feelings as facts, regardless of how unstable they are, no proof or truth you show them will matter if how they feel contradicts that. For example, if the narcissist hates themselves right now, nothing you say or do will be perceived as anything other than hateful. Doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what you say. If the narcissist believes they're the greatest thing that ever lived right now, everything you say and do will be perceived as echoing that sentiment. Your actual motives or feelings are not going to be considered here. Narcissists don't seem to understand that other people have feelings. They think they understand because intellectually they know that, but they don't seem to realize that other people's feelings are separate and different from theirs. It's all subconscious, like so much about them. They believe the way they feel is the way everybody feels. If you ask them whether or not they understand you have feelings, they'll probably say yes. If you ask them what they think your feelings are, like if you say, how do you think I'm feeling right now, they will often simply recite generic or vague things like sad, bad, mad, happy, and these will often be more accordance with how they feel, not you. If you ask what they think your feelings about them are, that's when you'll likely hear more specific emotions, and many times they're going to be way off base. That's because they're actually talking about their own feelings. They mistakenly believe these feelings are coming from other people. In other words, they think their feelings are your feelings. They don't realize there's a difference. For more information on that, check out the episode of the show entitled The Narcissist's True Motivation. It explains that in a little more detail. Narcissism is defined as a failure to distinguish the self from the external world. This is something we usually only see in small children. This is why they tell you to talk to your children about divorce and things like that so they'll know it's not their fault. The world of children is very self-centered, with everything that happens being perceived as happening because of them, good or bad. Narcissists operate almost exactly the same way. They have never matured beyond that belief. This is why they believe their feelings are everybody's feelings. They are the most important thing in their little world, the only real thing, and the only person that matters. They project their feelings onto the world at large, and they don't understand that what they are experiencing is actually a boomerang effect of those feelings simply coming back to them, not the genuine emotions of other people. This happens because their feelings are too overwhelming and uncomfortable for them to deal with, so they push them off onto other people. Now they actually have an enemy to fight. You. Now those feelings are coming from you, not from themselves. This is similar to something we see in animals called redirected aggression. It's the result of frustration and over-arousal. Let's say there's two dogs in a house looking out the window. These dogs live together and they get along most of the time. Now a strange dog walks by the window and both dogs inside the house start to become agitated. The longer the strange dog is out there, the more agitated and frustrated the two dogs in the house become. One dog at the window bumps up against the other dog in their excitement and suddenly a fight breaks out. Why did this happen? Because anytime there is agitation or over-arousal, aggression can follow because of the pressure that causes, and it will usually find the most convenient target. In the case of the narcissist, that's you. You are not the cause of the over-arousal or the upset. They're beating themselves up with internal abuse nonstop, regardless of what's going on. However, you're going to be the one they lash out at because of it. 
Why? Because you're there. You're a convenient target. They have redirected their aggression and hurt at you because there is nobody else. The pressure and frustration from this internal abuse that they heap on themselves is so severe that they have to release it somehow. It comes out in many ways. Aggression can take many forms from covert to blatant. Ignoring somebody, spreading lies about them, spending recklessly, nasty, nasty sarcasm. These things are all aggression. But the target is always somebody else. Regardless of how it comes out, the target is always somebody else. We see the same thing with a man who cannot strike back at his boss at work, so he abuses his wife. She may then abuse the children, who may then in turn abuse the pets or other children. This is redirected aggression. The difference is that the narcissist's, quote, enemy is internal and largely fictional. The people in our example know that they're redirecting their aggression to someone who doesn't deserve it. The narcissist experiences the world differently and does not believe that. This is why they're closer to the animal analogy than the human one. The dogs are simply fighting to release the frustration and pressure. There's no understanding about who deserves what. They're simply reacting to overwhelming feelings and attacking the nearest thing to let the pressure off and get some relief from it. This is how most narcissists operate. The reason narcissists employ all of these subconscious mental gymnastics is so they can deny all of these things, all these negative, horrible feelings, and all of this horrible abuse they're putting on themselves. Their entire life is predicated on ignoring all of these things and pretending everything is totally fine. Better than fine, in fact. This is the fabled false self we often hear about with narcissism. That false self is the only barrier between themselves and the truth, and it's flimsy even at the best of times. Behind that barrier is every ugly, worthless, despicable thing they live in fear that other people will see. This is why explaining doesn't work. This is why they're dedicated to misunderstanding you. If they're forced to acknowledge what you're saying, it completely disrupts their denial. This can be catastrophic for a narcissist. Those who are forced to confront the truth and are stripped of that barrier often decompensate, which is what some people call collapsing. They might even become suicidal. It is imperative that they keep that fiction in place and the things you are saying, regardless of what they are, threaten that fiction and are therefore intolerable. People often think the narcissist's abusive behavior is what they're trying to hide. It isn't. The abusive behavior is what they are using to try to keep that fiction in place. They abuse those that they think will disrupt or destroy that fiction in an attempt to force them to stop or to back down. What they're actually trying to hide is what they really think they are. An unlovable, ugly, disgusting monster that no one could tolerate or even look at. It's a sad irony that in their hysteria to protect the fiction designed to hide that ugly monster, they often end up convincing their loved ones that that's exactly what they are. I hope this clears a few things up for you. As always, I look forward to your comments, questions, and suggestions, so please keep those coming. You've been listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by Little Shaman Healing. That's me, the Little Shaman. May the Great Spirit bless you and have a wonderful day. Hey everybody, it's Shaman Sister Sin and you're listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by littleshaman.org. That's me, the Little Shaman. Today I wanted to talk to you about the way that narcissistic people's unstable emotions contribute to their unstable reality. This is a common issue people face when dealing with narcissistic people, so I thought we could talk about it on the show. One of the things we most often hear about narcissistic people is that they flip-flop about their feelings, about their truths, about their very reality. Some people call it lying. Some people call it changing their mind. Either way you look at it, pathologically narcissistic people are definitely known for emotional and behavioral U-turns. But why? 
As with everything connected to pathologically narcissistic people, this is a multifaceted and complex question, but probably one of the biggest reasons it happens is because narcissistic people are ruled by their emotions. In a very literal sense, pathologically narcissistic people perceive their feelings as facts. If they feel it, it's true, it's real. If facts do not support their feelings, it doesn't really matter. The feelings are more real to them than the facts are ever going to be. People who are non-narcissistic fit their feelings to the facts. In other words, their emotional reactions are related to and appropriate to the events that are actually happening. Pathologically narcissistic people often fit the facts to their feelings. This means that they interpret events in a way that matches how they already feel. Unlike non-narcissistic people, if their emotions don't match the events, narcissistic people attempt to reframe and change the events rather than their feelings. For example, if something happens and a person who is not narcissistic overreacts because they're already upset about something else, they can see that and adjust their reaction until it's more appropriate. At the very least, they can admit that their reaction was inappropriate. People who are narcissistic do not do that. Instead, they insist that the events were bad enough to cause the overreaction. In short, they say that it was not an overreaction because the things that happened to them were so awful that they could not react any other way. This may be because they actually did perceive the events as abusive and horrible, or it may be because they're so disconnected from and in denial of their own internal landscape, they don't understand their own emotional reality. And of course, it can be because they're simply trying to punish the person they believe they're upset with by accusing and harassing them. This is very hard for people to deal with. They don't understand why the narcissistic person is upset. They don't understand what the problem is or what they did wrong. They often try harder to do right and not upset the narcissist or cause them to become angry or feel hurt, but somehow they just can't seem to get it right. It seems like something is always upsetting this person. Something always makes them angry. Something is always wrong. The problem is that there is no way to not upset a narcissistic person because a narcissistic person is already upset. They are behaving the way that they're behaving because of things that have nothing to do with anybody else. It's all inside of them. The irony is that even though narcissistic people are so controlled by their emotions, they're usually pretty disconnected from them consciously. They often live in almost total denial of their feelings and they spend a huge amount of time avoiding and dodging them. Their entire dysfunction grew out of trying to avoid confronting or acknowledging painful and negative emotions. Narcissistic people are champions at doing that. However, they can't avoid feeling these emotions because the feelings are still there whether a person denies them or not. You can deny that it's raining all you want, but you're still going to get wet. Denial has no effect on reality. Because narcissists are in such deep denial of their feelings, they often perceive them as coming from other people or as being caused by other people. Hence the irrational insistence that you did something to make them feel the way that they feel. It's a trick their mind is playing on itself in self-defense. For instance, hatred of themselves may be projected and perceived by the narcissist as hatred for themselves that they're feeling from other people. Events in reality may not match those feelings, but the feelings are real and they gotta be coming from somewhere, right? Therefore, the narcissist insists that the other person is the one in denial. This is what often results in those crazy accusations that they're known for. Stuff like, you hate me, you're always faking being nice to me, but I know the truth. 
you of course deny that because it's not true and you list things that you have done or situations that disprove these accusations. These things will then be denied, reframed, or completely reinterpreted to fit the narcissist's current emotional narrative. Their own negative feelings are coloring their perception of everything. Sometimes, of course, those accusations are just BS that they're throwing at you to divert the subject away from whatever they've done wrong. But when the craziness seemingly just comes out of nowhere, it can be because they're projecting their own feelings outward in self-defense. Self-hatred, for example, is very difficult to defend against. Hatred from other people is easier to fight. It can be spun into many different things. Being jealous of other people, for instance, is hard to live with because it highlights your own insecurity. People being jealous of you is much easier to deal with because it means that they are the insecure one. That is what projection of these feelings does. It makes them easier to deal with. Because they are so disconnected from their emotional inner world and because they perpetually deny and avoid emotions, narcissist feelings are often chaotic and out of control. You certainly cannot control something that you're pretending doesn't even exist. As a result of this blanket denial defense mechanism, narcissists may have a lot of unprocessed trauma throughout their lives and because it's unprocessed, it can be as if the trauma just happened yesterday. The feelings have not been dealt with. Many narcissists also have not emotionally matured the way that most other people have. They haven't learned control over their emotions or to be able to self-soothe. It seems that for pathologically narcissistic people, their emotions present to others in one of two ways. Either these emotions are just freewheeling with no structure at all, bouncing all over the place, or so locked in that the narcissist seems to emotionally react to nothing at all most of the time. Inside, the inner turmoil is the same and emotions are still the guiding force of their life, whether they show them or whether they don't. These emotions color everything narcissistic people do. Feelings are the lens through which they perceive everything. And if you listen to the type of accusations they make and the type of things they say, you will see that that's correct. This is why things are giving meanings that they don't have and people are assigned motives, feelings, and thoughts that don't match reality. They match the narcissist's feelings. And to the narcissistic person, that is reality. Their feelings define and create their reality much more so than other people. It's no wonder then that their reality is so chaotic and so unstable. The feelings that it's based on are totally out of control. I hope this clears a few things up for you. As always, I look forward to your comments, questions, and suggestions, so please keep those coming. I take appointments online and over the phone Monday through Friday, so if you're interested in speaking with me, you can visit littleshaman.org and click the book and appointment tab to go ahead and do that, or you can use the link that's available in the information section of this video. You've been listening to the meditations and more podcasts brought to you by littleshaman.org. That's me, Little Shaman. May the Great Spirit bless you and have a wonderful day. Hey everybody, it's Shaman Sister Sin, and you're listening to the meditations and more podcasts brought to you by littleshaman.org. That's me, the Little Shaman. Today I want to talk to you about the games that narcissists play. Now, most people would probably think this means games the narcissist is playing with you, but it's not. Why? Because the narcissist is not playing games with you. They're playing games with themselves. You are not the opponent. You are one of the game pieces. This can be hard for many people to understand. Of course the narcissist is playing games with me. I'm the one they're doing things to. That's true. But the narcissist is at war. And in war, you don't attack your opponent directly. You attack your opponent's representatives. You attack their possessions. Yes, innocent people are harmed in the battle, but they're collateral damage. 
They've been sacrificed to get at the real enemy. Imagine if two kings were at war. The first king does not go to the opposing palace and attack the other king face to face. He attacks the village in that kingdom and burns it down. He kills every person in that village. Those people are innocent. They're not the opponent. They were killed only to hurt the true opponent. The same thing is happening to you. The narcissist is at war with themselves, and you're just another tool they're using to fight that war. Remember, narcissists do not see other people as actual people with their own thoughts, feelings, needs, wants, and goals. They view other people only as reflections of themselves. They don't see you. They see a mirror reflecting their own feelings and images back to themselves. The sole purpose that other people have in a narcissist's life is how the narcissist can use that person to make themselves either feel good or feel bad. That's it. The games they seem to be playing with you are really games they're playing with themselves because the goal or the point of their behavior has nothing to do with you. You are just a tool being used to create whatever they're trying to create within themselves. How this manipulatively horrible abuse affects you is not considered or even acknowledged. It just doesn't matter. This is why we say you shouldn't take it personally. To put it bluntly, it's not about you and it never will be. In order for the narcissist to make it personal, you would have to be seen as a person. It just doesn't work that way. It is perhaps impossible, though, to really understand this unless and until someone truly understands that pathologically narcissistic people don't see other people as people but as objects. They know you're a person the same way they know a lamp is a lamp and a cat is a cat. But emotionally, there's no understanding, there's no connection there. The fact that you're a human being is just information with no actual meaning for them. It's a categorization and that's all. Bob is a person means the same to a narcissist as this is a table, this is a chair means to you. There are no emotions attached to these things. They're just things. All the feelings they seem to have for or about you, both good and bad, are really just projected feelings for or about themselves. And if you examine them even a little bit, you will see that. You, as an individual human being, do not exist to the narcissist. You are a container for emotions they can't handle. They don't love you. They love the way you make them feel. They don't hate you. They hate themselves and need someone to take it out on. You're not important enough for any of these emotions to apply to you. You are the stage dressing in the never-ending play that they're performing. And contrary to popular belief, you're not the audience. They are their own audience. The performance is for themselves. You are just the prop that makes it more believable. They will manipulate you, arrange you, place you, and remove you as the script demands, and not one thought will ever be spared for how this affects you because you're an object with no feelings. When you use your car, for example, you don't think about how it feels to be driving or whether it wants to go on a trip. That would never cross your mind. That would be silly. You get in the car and you go where you want to go. This is similar to how a narcissist views other people. Now you might think, but the narcissist does seem to at least acknowledge my feelings. They are constantly accusing me of being angry or hating them or things that have to do with my feelings. They must know I have them. They do, but this information is only understood as far as how it pertains to them and no other way. Remember, feelings control pathologically narcissistic people. Your feelings are important only because of how they make the narcissist feel. Feelings that you have that don't affect them do not matter at all. They won't even be noticed. 
How your feelings make you feel is not important or even considered. You pay attention to how much gas your car has, right? But not because you care about how your car feels or what your car wants. You pay attention to how much gas your car has because if you run out, you can't get to where you want to go. You care because it affects you. If your car stops working, you can't use it anymore. So anything that happens which will affect that is going to be important. This is how your feelings matter to a narcissist. It really is an alien way to look at things. And it's often very difficult for people to understand because most people aren't like that. Most of us don't see others as objects. We understand that people have feelings and we do care. Narcissists do not. It's just not the way they operate. They have no empathy, no understanding of other people's feelings. The games that seem to be about wearing your self-esteem down or making you seem crazy or hurting you or gaslighting you or anything like that are not really about that at all. They're about making the narcissist feel better. The games that seem to be about accusing you or hating you aren't really about that either. They're about making the narcissist feel bad. Haven't you ever noticed that none of it really seems to have anything to do with you personally? It's all just a bunch of crazy stuff you would never do or never said or that never happened. That's because it's not about you. It's about them and their feelings. It's not about anything you're doing or didn't do or did do or whatever. It's very crazy making. This is why so many people say things like, well, somehow I lost a game I never even knew I was playing. Well, you didn't lose because you're not playing. You are not the other player in this tennis match from hell. You are the ball. This is the reason you can't get through to them or make them understand your side or your feelings, your opinions, or anything else about you. It's a waste of time. Everything that pathologically narcissistic people do is for themselves and about themselves. People's pain often prevents them from being able to see this when they are still close to the situation, but often time and distance lend people a better perspective and they can see that a little more clearly. Narcissists aren't really trying to destroy you. How can they be when you don't even exist? They are using you to try to destroy or rebuild themselves. It's like using a hammer to pound in a stubborn nail. You aren't trying to destroy the hammer by banging it repeatedly on a hard surface. That's what it's for. If you break it on accident, hey man, it happens. Well, in this situation, you're the hammer. To the narcissist, that's what you're for and that's how you'll be used. This, of course, does not excuse their behavior in any way, nor does it negate the horrible damage they cause. But I think it's important to explain that it's not personal because this helps people to understand why and how narcissists are able to behave that way. It illustrates how self-centered and self-focused these people really are. That they can destroy somebody and never even notice. They abuse, torture, ruin, devalue, and discard as a matter of course. It's personal, sure. To you, it is not personal to the narcissist. The only person they will ever acknowledge is themselves. I hope this clears a few things up for you. As always, I look forward to your comments, questions, and suggestions, so please keep those coming. Thank you so very, very much. You've been listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by littleshaman.org. That's me, the Little Shaman. May the Great Spirit bless you, and have a wonderful day. Hey everybody, it's Shaman Sister Sin, and you're listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by Earth Mama's Apothecary and LittleShaman.org. That's me, the Little Shaman. Today I wanted to talk to you about the true battle people dealing with narcissists are facing. This is not an easy subject to address, but it's very important for people to understand the truth of it, so I thought we could address it on the show today. Narcissists are combative. They are contrary. They are contentious. They are arbitrary. They are obstinate. 
They will fight you tooth and nail. They will make everything into a contest and a competition. They will bully you, browbeat you, and bulldoze over you. Every single interaction with this person feels like hand-to-hand -hand combat or psychological warfare. They will lie, cheat, steal, and more. They are never sorry. They are never honest. They are never real. They can be abusive, hateful, and vicious. Now, with all of those issues and more, it's easy to believe that the narcissist is the problem. And they are, as far as that goes. But narcissism does not exist in a vacuum. A relationship doesn't just have one person in it. The other person or people in the relationship are playing a part in the situation as well. And when we examine the situation closely and honestly, we might find that their part in the toxic dynamic is even more important than the pathologically narcissistic person's part. Now, there's no reason to split hairs here. The vast majority of pathologically narcissistic people are toxic. They are manipulative, controlling, and prone to abuse others. However, the victim's choices play a large part in this situation. It is the victim who gives the abuser their power, strange as that might sound. Unless the victim is a child, they have the choice to walk away from the situation, even from parents, even from siblings, even from their own adult children. For whatever reason, the victim has given their power to the abuser and often feels helpless to escape because of that. Unraveling the reasons behind this is the key to stopping the abuse. People often say that it isn't easy to walk away from the situation, whatever type of relationship it might be, and that's very true. It's not easy. It's hard. It may cost money, it may impact relationships with other loved ones that aren't the narcissistic person, the narcissist could create a smear campaign against you, there can be all kinds of outcomes, situations, and implications. But this is what it is. There's no way to escape the relationship with a pathologically narcissistic person without upsetting them. They like things the way they are and they're invested in keeping them that way. But no one is going to suggest that people stay in a toxic, abusive situation just because it's hard to leave. There are ways to do anything if we really want to do it. It's up to the victim to decide which is harder, staying or going. It's not a decision anybody else can make. At some point, the person realizes that they're in a toxic or abusive situation. Most people then remove themselves from the situation when they make that realization. Others do not, and this is where self-examination comes into play. Usually the reasons we hear have to do with a narcissist. We often hear that they threatened all manner of things up to and including suicide. And it's true. Narcissistic people will do everything they can to hang on to relationships and keep things the way that they are. People often feel responsible for the narcissist. They believe it's their responsibility to take care of this person or be there for them. The question is, why is another person's well-being more important than your own? This is not healthy. It's up to the victim to uncover the reasons why they believed this dynamic was okay. It's up to them to figure out how they got stuck in it. Many times we'll find that this is what victims have been taught. Many victims have been conditioned to believe since childhood that they're responsible for other people's emotions and other people's well-being. Many people who find themselves entangled with narcissists were the parentified children of alcoholics and addicts or they were the abused and emotionally neglected children of narcissists. It's this same pattern that they're still living out in their adult lives, sometimes even with the very same people that conditioned them that way in the first place. 
For those who are in narcissistic romantic relationships, they may have been attracted to a person such as the narcissist because they're familiar with emotional unavailability and someone who loves conditionally or behaves unpredictably. This type of relationship feels like home. It feels like love. It lights up that trauma bond pathway that already exists in the brain. It's unfortunate that many people don't realize that familiar doesn't mean good or healthy. It just means familiar. If you were held hostage in a cell for 10 years and finally got out, sitting in the cell would feel familiar, but it would not be good. People who grew up with this type of conditioning often believe it's their responsibility to fix, help, and take care of other people. But on another level, they may be looking to redeem themselves through the abusive person. In pursuing the same unavailable or invalidating type of relationship from their childhood, they may believe on some level that they're going to make this person love them and finally prove to themselves and everybody else that they're lovable and that they're good enough. They may believe that they will be rewarded for their sacrifice with the love that they have always wanted but never got. It's much easier to say, I'm helping this person because they need help than it is to say, I really want to prove that I'm lovable. And it's a lot harder to face that as well. The sad reality of it is that the victim's goal generally is not realized. This generally does not happen. The person ends up simply chasing something they're never going to get from the same type of person that never gave it to them to begin with. Maybe it might even be the same person in the case of a parent. Undoing that conditioning can be difficult. There's often a huge amount of guilt that accompanies the conditioning as well as many other deep-rooted core issues that involve self-worth and self-esteem. These may be things that people aren't even aware of. For example, if asked why they give in to the narcissist manipulations, a person might say, well, I don't want them to think I'm mean. On its face, you know, that's probably true. Nobody wants to be thought of as mean or cruel, especially by someone they care about. However, most people would realize that in this particular situation, the narcissist accusations of cruelty and abuse are ridiculous. Why does the victim, who likely does realize that the narcissist is being ridiculous, still give in? Why does the victim still give in even though they know the accusations of abuse and cruelty are absurd? Maybe behind the desire to not be thought of as mean lurks the fear that they will not be loved or that they'll be abandoned if they don't give the narcissist what they want. Maybe the victim is carrying around unnecessary guilt that's not even attached to this situation, but that is affecting their decision making. There's all kinds of things that it could be. But the bottom line is that we react to things the way that we do for our own reasons and because of our own stuff. The narcissist is pushing our buttons, yes, but these are buttons that already exist inside of us. Our job is to identify those buttons and deactivate them so that no one can use them to control us anymore. Doing this can be painful, sometimes extremely painful, and it can be difficult. Getting beyond these things to make the decisions that are best for you is a huge fight in and of itself, but it's necessary in order to take care of yourself correctly. This is the biggest battle you will face in your journey, the battle with yourself and your own feelings. And it's the battle you've been fighting all along, whether you realize that or not. The narcissist is not controlling people. They're not puppet masters. They're not Svengali. All they're doing is provoking other people's emotions, and those are controlling them. The good news about that is you control your emotions. You decide how you react. Once you can get a handle on that, other people's control over you disappears. This can be a hard subject to talk about. 
people don't like to be asked why they accepted abuse in their life. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to have to answer that question. It's totally understandable. It's hard to face and it's painful to talk about. Some people just aren't ready to end the situation yet and that's what it is. That's all there is to it. There are also maybe those who say that this is victim blaming. No one is ever to blame for being abused by another person and there's no excuse for anyone ever saying that they are. However, people can only run from the truth for so long. If the victim does not confront their own reasons for remaining in the situation at some point, they're likely going to find themselves back in the same situation again sooner or later. This is what we're trying to prevent. I hope this clears a few things up for you. As always, I look forward to your comments, questions, and suggestions, so please keep those coming. I take appointments online and over the phone Monday through Friday, so if you're interested in speaking with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can visit littleshaman.org and click the Book an Appointment tab to do so, or you can use the link that's available in the information section of this video. You've been listening to the Meditations and More podcast brought to you by littleshaman.org. That's me, Little Shaman. May the Great Spirit bless you and have a wonderful day.